It's a crucial point, a crucial game in a crucial set that will in all likelihood decide the outcome of the match. The tennis arena is full to capacity and the atmosphere is electric. It seems the crowd is afraid to breathe. The first serve was called out, so the second serve needs to be on target. As the ball goes up for the serve and the racket arches back, the player's mind is full of a million thoughts. Should this serve be a safe one or should I aim for an ace? My parents have flown all the way here to see me play. I don't want to let them down. What happens if I lose? Will they be disappointed? My country's expectations and national pride are riding on this moment. Do I angle a little more to the left? The ball comes down. The racket leaps forward. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Arlene Taylor, all the way from the USA. I think we're, I'm all really all the way from Canada via USA. Oh, really? So that's even farther, and I'm delighted oh, to be here, Ken. God save the Queen. Absolutely. <laughs> Good. It's great to have you here. I think that's one of the reasons I really enjoy coming to Australia, because I did grow up in Canada, part of the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. and Canada and Australia do have some similarities, so I just almost feel like I'm at home. Mm, okay. So where in the States are, are you based? At the moment, I'm based in Northern California, about 40 miles from San Francisco. Okay. And uh, I've never been to California, but I hear it's a lot like Australia in terms of the weather and the climate, and you have eucalyptus trees and things like that. We do have some, and uh, yes, there are some similarities. There are parts, of course, that are much colder, I think, Mm -hmm. than Australia, and probably parts that maybe are not quite so hot, although the temperature in Death Valley was up to 127 degrees Fahrenheit the other day, which is really pretty hot. Goodness me, yes. I think, what, 100 is about 38 degrees or something, isn't it? So... Yeah, that's, that sounds very high. But of course, uh, after your trip here in Sydney, you're headed for Hobart. So you're going to discover Australia does have some cold parts to it. Well, I brought some things to layer because I'm used to that. And quite frankly, having grown up in a pretty cold part, I feel alive and alert when it's cool. Mm. The, the times when my brain feels most sluggish is when it's high temperature, high humidity, no breeze. And I think... Oh, I can't even get a breath. Mm, you feel a bit sluggish sometimes, yes. Okay, well, yeah, enjoy Tasmania. It's, so it's I'm, gonna, I'm good. It's going to be great. That's really good. Now, people speak about, oh, we're going to hear from Arlene Taylor, the brain lady. Now, you're not a, a neurosurgeon, but you do have qualifications in the area of, of the brain. Can you explain that? Would you call yourself a brain educator or, a, or what? I just refer to myself as a brain function specialist because okay. the the science of brain function really could come into play, Kent, only after we got the brain imaging mm-hmm. type of equipment and so on. So I talk to people. No, and I'm not a medical doctor, so mm-hmm. I don't prescribe. I have a couple of PhDs. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of brain function is to help people understand, literally, how the brain functions in Mm. general and help them make some applications to how their brain functions. Mm. And hopefully, it certainly has changed my life because it's. I tell people you are more likely to use your brain by design Mm. instead of just flying by the seat of your pants and sometimes you get it right but you don't exactly know what you did to get it right. right. And sometimes you get it terribly wrong, and people are always 
you know, ready to tell you what you did to get it wrong. They may not even be on the same page, mm. but it's hard to figure that out. And so we tend to make similar mistakes over and over again. Okay. But the more you understand about your brain, the more you can use it by design. Mm. And that, to me, just elevates everything and drops off a lot of the problems that you'd have when you really don't understand what's happening, even though we probably only know a little bit about how the brain really functions. But yes. what we know is so much fun. Yeah, well, well, that makes sense. I mean, yesterday I, I was with my son and we were fixing the, the motorcycle brakes, you know, on, on my Suzuki GS850 for you motorcycle guys out there. And it was really helpful to have the manual there to see all the components of this, you know, rear brake master cylinder and how they all fitted together. And we got it going. We were very excited. The brakes now work. <laughs> so, and I guess the brain's similar, isn't it? When we understand how the brain is designed, how it's put together, how it functions, then we're able to much more, um, I guess, effectively use our brains. And you know, use your brain, isn't that what our parents always told us? <laughs> yes, although they couldn't help us understand how to use it necessarily. Yeah. But that's the whole point. There is no brain owner's manual. Mm -hmm. But as we get this information, and, and that's one of the reasons I try to write articles, do interviews, make presentations, sometimes just something really small can absolutely change a person's life. Yeah, yeah, wow. Now, I've got to thank you very much, Arlene, because you contribute regularly to Signs of the Times magazine. You're, you're a columnist there, you know, understanding your brain, you know, and those short little practical tips on how best to make use of, of your brain, I think are, are, yeah, some great features of the magazine. And I know people enjoy them and I know they love hearing you because you've come back to Australia, uh, you know, time and time again. They, they keep inviting you back because just they learn so much and they're inspired. Now, this is my third trip this year, Kent, and that no seems way. a bit excessive. But <laughs> yes, it is my third you, trip. You should just move here and be done with it. I think. Well, you know, I probably like it almost well enough to move here, but I really do have a home. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, one uh, column that that we've got in this month's uh, edition of Signs of the Times is about performance choking. And I guess we heard we hear the expression from time to time, maybe with a, a sports team's performance or, oh, they choked, you know, when something sort of doesn't go right at, at the last minute. What do we mean when we use the word choking? You know, when people hear the word choking, they usually think about something getting stuck in your throat. <laughs> oh, and yeah. then you've got to have the Heimlich maneuver to save your life. Yes, yes. We're not talking about that kind of choking. Mm. We're talking about a person who has often pretty good skill levels developed. Mm -hmm. And now they're in a performance situation and all of a sudden everything goes south, mm. if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, Malcolm Gladwell put it this way. If you get panicked, mm -hmm. that usually involves too little thinking. Mm -hmm. But if you have performance choking, that represents overthinking. Uh -huh. And what that really means is that the individual all of a sudden starts performing at a level that's way below what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely way below. And everything really does tend to go south. And usually that occurs, well, it can occur for many different reasons. Mm. I mean, for example, it can occur because you got cocky. 
(laughs) And you thought you really knew it and you didn't really have to prepare. Mm -hmm. Or because you are living a very unbalanced life in terms of health. Mm -hmm. Not enough sleep, not keeping your brain hydrated so that the tissue is pulling away from the skull, not giving your body quality nutrition, Mm. uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But that aside... Researchers suggest that there are four variables that are going to impact or can impact a person, mm. uh, the result of which would be performance choking. Okay, just just bef- I definitely want to talk about that, but just before we get there, are you able to tell us anything about what exactly is happening in the brain when someone experiences that anxiety that actually stops them performing at their peak? Is is there anything going on physiologically in, in the brain or ne- well, neurochemical? we believe there are mm. lots of things going on. For mm. one thing, we may have talked in one of my columns about something called downshifting. Yes. And the, th- the, the brain has three functional layers, you know, the reptilian brain, first layer, mammalian brain, second layer. Mm-hmm. Now you've got the neocortex, third layer. And in the prefrontal cortex behind your forehead is where you have conscious thought. Mm-hmm. But down in the reptilian layer is where you have loaded all the automatic motor skills and mm-hmm. other type of functions related to your, your skill set, to, to, to your genre. Mm-hmm. So that when someone who is very expert now is going to perform, it's almost like a professional amnesia. Oh, wow. You begin to just do your thing almost automatically mm-hmm. because the reptilian layer is just smoothly making those functions happen. Mm-hmm. People talk about things like muscle memory, for example. Yes, it, and it, flow. It, it, it's not actually your muscle that's remembering. Is it, it all it, depends it's, what it's you're your, doing. It's your brain that's remembering. It is your, it's your first layer. That's it's, it's automatic pilot. Automatic pilot because mm. you know it so well and it has happened so often. Mm. Now, as Gladwell said... Choking represents too much conscious thought. Mm -hmm. So based on the presence of several variables, Mm -hmm. if all of a sudden you start consciously thinking Mm -hmm. about, oh, now, wait a minute, what what comes next? What did I plan to Mm -hmm. say next? Or I know there's a key change coming up here if they're doing music, but Mm -hmm. what was that key change? Mm -hmm. You shift your brain's energy and attention away from that automaticity, Mm. and now you don't even know where you are in your presentation. Mm -hmm. And that's when you choke. Yes, okay, wow. It's too much conscious thought instead of having done good preparation and then just letting it flow. Mm, Okay, all right. Now, there were four things you you were about to tell us about before I, I rudely interrupted you. You can interrupt me any way, anytime you want, Ken, because usually when you interrupt me, we have a very interesting conversation. <laughs> That's all right. So the uh, research about choking mm. talks about four variables. First of all, is there an audience present? 
Mm-hmm. You know, okay. you're not going to be choking at home. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be choking, you know, in the restaurant unless you do swallow something the wrong way. <laughs> yep. There is an audience of some sort present. Mm-hmm. Now, with what you and I are doing right now, there's an audience present. Mm-hmm. And you're aware of it, and I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. But so far, it hasn't made either one of us choke. Yeah. Which is strange because, I mean, this is pre-recorded, so we're not doing this live to an audience. We're not expecting the phone to ring and for an audience member to say, what rot are you people talking about? Neither can we see them because we're just in a room by ourselves in a radio studio. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, we're aware of an audience. I guess writing an exam paper would be a similar thing. It could you, be. You, you think to yourself, someone's going to read this and they're going to judge me on this and they're going to they're gonna grade this paper. Right. So we have that consciousness of an audience that isn't even there. We don't even know who they are. Wow. So, yeah. So, so that's all included in that audience. So that's, an, that's the number one variable is anybody going to be listening or seeing or whatever mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm. The second thing is, is there any competition going on? Now, sometimes you, if you're a musician, you might be competing for prizes. Yes. If you're a writer, you might be competing for whatever. But many people are competing with themselves. Yes. And so if they make the slightest mistake, which is just evidence that you're human, Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to just, you know, smooth it over and keep going, the fact that you are competing with yourself or with somebody else can disrupt the flow. Mm. You, You leave the automaticity, and now you're consciously thinking about, oh, my goodness, you know, are they? am I going to get a good grade? Are they going to like it? You know, are yes. they ever going to invite me back or yes. whatever? So the third one is what are the performance contingent rewards? Now, that can be money. Mm-hmm. It can be a grade. Mm-hmm. It can be uh, your book getting published. Right. It can be in being invited back for a radio or TV interview. Mm-hmm. Whatever rewards your brain that you think might be contingent on this performance, mm. again, can just derail you when you start thinking about, oh, am I doing a good enough job? Mm. I mean, are you going to cancel my column, Kent, because mm-hmm. I've not been, you know, verbally ar- articulate about mm-hmm. this. So, mm. That's all in your brain. Okay. Well, well no, Arlene. Did you, so you can, you can stop worrying about that. <laughs> you know, actually, Ken, I wasn't worrying. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, it was hypothetical. Okay. Hypothetical. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and the last one is the ego relevance of the task. Mm-hmm. Meaning everybody has an ego. Sometimes it's underinflated. Mm-hmm. You don't think you're as good as anybody else, and that can choke you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's overinflated and you're so cocky that you don't think you have to prepare anymore. Uh-huh. But it, it, has, it has everything to do with your level of emotional intelligence, yeah. really. Knowing that you know your material, you appreciate the opportunity to share it with other people, you know that you might make a little mistake and forget something, but you also know your material so well that you can just... You know, just take a little tiny detour and get right back on track. Mm-hmm. You know, you have that confidence. Yes. And you just let it happen. You don't mm. sit there and overthink, Yeah, as yeah. Gladwell says. Wow. So 
you know, there's lots of re lots of other things that can play into that, like lifestyle and so on and so forth. But those seem to be the four main things that impact whether or not mm -hmm. you are at high risk for choking. Okay, so having an audience, being in a competitive situation. The last one was about ego. What was the third one? And what kind of rewards? Oh, rewards, yeah. What rewards are there and, and your own ego? Because each okay. brain is different. Every brain has a reward system, but each mm. brain is slightly different in what the mm. reward for that brain okay. is. So what, what kinds of people or, or in what stage of life or situations would people be particularly vulnerable to choking, would you say? Oh my, that's quite an interesting question, Ken. Well, because, because obviously some people perform really well and they do fantastic time after time after time and other people, you know, say, I never do well at exams, I'm terrible at exams and it's not because they haven't learnt the stuff, it's not because they don't do great on the other forms of assessments, it's just that when you're there in the exam room faced with that paper and with the clock ticking, suddenly you fall apart. Yeah, but that has everything to do with what you tell yourself, Kent. Yeah. Because the brain can only do what it thinks it can do. Mm -hmm. And it's your job to tell your brain what it can do. Mm. And it can be a five-year-old at the Christmas program, mm -hmm. and they have one line to do in the play. Yep. And they walk out and they choke. Mm-hmm. And it can be somebody who's 75 years old and has done this forever and they're gifted and they're good at it. And suddenly they start thinking, I'm 75. My parents died when they were both 75. I wonder if I'm going to lose it. I wonder how long I'm going to live. That has nothing to do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's irrelevant for the performance. Mm -hmm. But if you let yourself get sidetracked with that and do not tell your brain what it can do and mm. what you expect it to do, you can choke anywhere, anytime, any age, any gender, mm. as far as I'm concerned. So, okay, so we're all susceptible to it. I, I guess I just would suspect that somebody with perhaps a pre existing anxiety disorder, you know, might be more likely to choke, or, or somebody who perhaps was brought up in a family situation where they were often criticized and put down, or had their parents hold an extremely high standard to, to their behavior, may be in a situation where that self talk in their head, you know, that echo of their their parents may be something that helps makes them overthink because they're hearing these critical sort of voices. Absolutely. Mm. We are all a product of our past. Mm. And in fact, some of the recent studies show that in this present moment, 70% of how we perform, how we interact, mm. has everything to do with our past. Mm. Okay. Wow. So everybody has a past. Mm. And everybody has had damage. Yeah. Not everybody has identified it, addressed it, and worked with it. So, yes, there are some people. Well, in my case, my dad was a preacher. Mm -hmm. And I have one brother. There's just the two of us. Yeah. But I was raised in the late 1800s when <laughs> women were not in public mm. in Canada. She, she's exaggerating, audience. No, no, no one's that old. Well, I'm aiming for 122 years, 165 days, so don't get too cocky wow, there, Kent. There you, there you go. <laughs> Off your luck. <laughs> but when I kept being asked to do things in public, mm. I did them, and I don't remember doing a lot of choking mm. until it came to the place where I was going to get a master's degree. My mother was the first in, a, in our 
15 generations that we can track back on her side of the family to have graduated from college. Wow. Okay. So she wanted me to graduate from college, and I honor her for that. Mm. But the fact that I was going outside now the family script, the family script was, yes, a girl can go to college and get a bachelor's, Mm -hmm. but I was going to get a master's, and that was outside the family script. And I remember my mother saying to me, you don't need a master's. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing just fine with the bachelor's. <laughs> and then I was asked to make some big presentation, and she said, Arlene, your brother should be making that presentation, not you. Wow. So she was not trying to be unkind. I know that, Kent. Mm-hmm. She was acting out of the 70% of her history. Mm-hmm. But I had to deal with that now because for years I kept hearing, your brother should be doing that, not you. Mm -hmm. So I had to work really hard on changing that and telling my brain, Arlene, you are speaking in public. You love it. Mm -hmm. You enjoy it. People like the information. And pretty much now I can tell you that experience, but I have no emotion attached to it Mm -hmm. and therefore it no longer has any power to choke me. Wow, there you go. And that's the sort of hard work, I guess, that you need to do sometimes to, to get through that. Wow. Okay, so if if I know that I'm perhaps vulnerable to choking, uh, is there any way that... What can I do to, to minimise that happening? Because because obviously, you know, you talked about preparation a few times. So let's go way back. You know you have a performance or an exam or, or a grand final, you know, sporting event come up. You have a history of choking. What can you do to prevent that or to, to minimise that risk? Just in the, uh, I think, about five minutes that we have to go. Well, I think it starts with acknowledging that you have had that happen to you in the in the past, and you have a risk for that, Mm -hmm. and now implementing strategies to minimize that. Mm -hmm. And if it's an exam in college, Mm. what is your motivation? Well, the motivation is to do the best I can because I need the piece of paper Mm -hmm. so that now, because it'll just open doors. It Mm -hmm. won't make you successful, but it will open doors Mm -hmm. so that you can then go out and do what you want to do. You have to realize that you probably are never going to get 100% on every exam, mm. and that's fine. So it seems like what you're saying in a nutshell is be realistic to start be off Be very with. realistic. Be realistic. I, I have an issue in this area. I can't expect myself to be perfect, but okay. So, so going well, from there. Well, you can expect yourself to be perfect. There are two definitions for perfect, Ken. Okay, all right. One is flawless. Flawless, yes. There isn't a human being on the planet that's flawless. Yeah, that's true. But the other definition is well-suited to the task at hand. Mm -hmm. And the metaphor I use for that is if you have a butter knife, it's not well-suited to screwing a screw into the wall. Mm. You need a screwdriver. Yeah, it it may do it badly, but it's not perfect for the task. You do not want to butter your bread with a screwdriver. So you can always be well-suited to the task at hand. Mm -hmm. And once you get that and stop trying to be flawless, oh, it just, it's such a relief. Mm, Liberating, yeah. So you take good care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I think you raise your level of emotional intelligence to the best of your ability, which means you really stop using jot behaviors. J-O-T? J-O-T. You stop jumping to conclusions, you stop overreacting, and you stop taking things personally. 
J-O-T. Jumping yeah. to conclusions, overreacting, taking things personally. Oh, I like that. And when, uh, I often talk about use plenty of STP. Okay. And those are just little acronyms that I use to help yeah. me remember things. But STP, first letter of each of three strategies that you can use. The first one is stay in the moment mm-hmm. when you're performing. Stop thinking about three years ago when you choked. Mm-hmm. Don't even think about how this is going to be analyzed when it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Just stay in the moment. Enjoy what you're doing. Mm. That's what Have people call mindfulness it. often, isn't mindfulness. it? Mindfulness. Mindfulness, yeah. Okay. And actually, that is the T, take control of your mindset. Oh, okay. Because... If you become aware of a negative thought, it is your job to change it to a positive thought. Mm-hmm. So you think, you know, I don't think I can do this. You change that to, Arlene, you are doing this. Mm-hmm. Because you're telling your brain, you are doing this. Mm. You talk about only what you want to have happen as if it is a done deal. Uh-huh. You never talk about what you don't want. Mm-hmm. So that's the... So it's that positive. Take control of your mindset. Mm, Okay. And third, the P stands for perform with pleasure. Mm. If you don't love what you do, Ken, find something you do love. Yeah. Because you will only do a really good job if you love it. Mm. You love sharing. You're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And so... Perform with pleasure doesn't mean that you'll be flawless, but it usually means you're going to be well-suited to the task at hand. Wow. And that's STP, in my brain's yeah. opinion. Those, those are great practical tips. They're really good. And I know that you know, a part of your mission, you know, as you go around talking to people, is to remind them that, hey, your brain is actually a physical organ in your body. You know, it's not some airy-fairy thing, you know, floating out there in the ether. It's a physical organ that's affected by the way you live your life and, and your lifestyle. And I imagine when it comes to choking or when it comes to any aspect of where we need our brains to work at, at its optimum level, our physical health is important. Can, can you just give you us know, a there's summary there? There's a wonderful metaphor. We now have vehicles of all mm-hmm. kinds, and mm-hmm. vehicles create traffic. Yeah. Traffic now can impact the vehicles, how fast they go, whether they can go at all. Now, Mm -hmm. we believe the brain starts developing about the fourth day after conception, and the brain eventually creates the mind. Mm. Now, Which is a bit of a mystery medically, isn't it? It is a mystery, but that seems to be the generalized conclusion. Mm. Now, the mind can't, can impact the brain. Mm -hmm. And that's what Avoiding choking is all about Mm -hmm. taking care of this brain and this mind so that as you talk to your mind and it translates to impacting the brain, everything comes together for you to be more successful. Mm, Wow. Oh, look, that's so good to hear. And it's uh, really good to you know, keep reading your, your columns in Signs of the Times. And thanks so much for those you know, practical tips today. I really appreciate your time today, uh, Dr. Aileen Taylor. Uh, it's just my pleasure to talk to you, Kent. I really enjoy exchanging brain things with our brains. Well, we'll have to have you back when you're here in the fourth time in Australia for this year. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. 
Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.